0: There's a huge danger here. One is to say, oh, this is." we're gonna look at this at a, at a broad meta level and forget that a person died. The other one is, is to um, just focus on, well, this is a person who died, that's Memphis, that's not where I live, that's over there. And, and there are two extremes there
1: that we don't want to get stuck in. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. Well, this is your warning that this is going to be a heavy episode. The title will have given it away. And also, this is basically what everybody is talking about right now. But we, we did want to talk about Tyree Nichols, the murder that took place in Memphis. And we hope that we can do some helpful processing here. It's worth pointing out of of course that as of this recording this is January 30th we you the details are still limited and this is an ongoing story it's unfolding daily no doubt by the time this 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 is aired and you're listening to it way more details will be available and of course more will be available in the oncoming weeks so we're certainly not profits and we're not here to make definitive pronouncements on every aspect of this case but we did want to process through it also just from a christian standpoint what do we do with a story like like this it's obviously very distressing on a number of different levels and nathan one of the one of the things i've been i, I immediately was was thinking of was how what the international response will be you know how does somebody say who's in France or Australia? You know you already hear so many stories about how violent of a nation America is, and we are a very violent nation. It's true, but when you hear a story about five police police officers brutally beating a person to death whom who whom they've pulled po- pulled over, just the picture that emerges is a pretty chaotic one so i've I've just been sort of thinking on that and Praying through this, I mean, I know that it's a cultural moment that I think we can just acknowledge this. This is this is more of of just a, a general feel in the air. Hang on a second. But it's a cultural moment that few Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. Is
0: is violence in America a cultural moment? Say more about that, because I think from Wild West to homicide rates oh, no, in Chicago no, no, no. to the history of that, I mean, it's, so in oh, some no. ways, it that's not where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Clarify there for a second. Bring us along on what you think is unique about this part of this moment.
1: Yeah. Oh no. I would say violence is a consistent thread running through America. So that, that does not, that doesn't feel new to me. No, what I was, what I was getting at, and this does crop up from time to time in different eras, this feeling, but it's a feeling of chaos. That's really, and that sounds like a very dramatic word and generally speaking on thinking out loud we will avoid dramatic terms but i really i can't come up with a better one these times feel chaotic there's a sense of crumbling order there's a sense of of just a pent up kind of aggression that you're seeing more and more of and so and this this incident just seems to be a particularly vivid offers a very vivid picture of that now i don't want to speak in broad abstract terms, though, either, because we're dealing with a human life that's been lost, senselessly lost. And so I think m- part of the way I want, I mean, I want my posture here to remain focused on on the person who's been lost here and all that he meant to his children, his friends, his family, but also just to acknowledge that I think it seems to be of a piece with a general mood That seems very chaotic. No, I don't think violence is a new thing here at all. In fact, I think America is a uniquely violent nation and always has been.
0: Well, I'll just lump us in with humanity there. So I think that's the more unsettling thing is you said this is a vivid example of something. The amount of abuse and destruction and the evil generated by the human heart is phenomenally high and that is not unique to Americans. Now we have tools to express that in ways that other countries don't have access to. And there are good and bad reasons for that. But I think that that should be one of the, we we would like to think, so this is where we kind of have to walk a line here of yes, there's an individual involved here. And let's say that he was up to totally shady stuff and everything is regrettable about the entire situation. But we remember the biblical injunction here that the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. So even if it was, I don't know, imagine what you think would justify it. There's still no delight in it. Um, and I'm not I'm not making that as an accusation. I'm just saying, even if you ran it to a logical extreme, from the Lord's perspective, the death of anybody is a sad and tragic thing. So that takes all of the moral posturing and guesswork out of it of thinking about whether or not this is bad or whether or not it's sad. It is. Um. Regardless of the details leading up to it, it's sad. So, so we sit in that, and and yeah, Cameron.
1: Yeah. Well, Nathan, I think. Wh- why don't you, if you, if you're, if you're up for it, bring in some of those specific details because you've you've done a pretty close and a close kind of tracking and analysis of what some of some of what transpired before well, you know as as the 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 actual stop took place. Yeah. And so you you've read
0: the train. You've read the transcript, I watched all the footage. Um and it's also interesting to watch to read how different people see different things in the footage of it all breaking down. And I have significant questions about things that I think will um have to be answered. But so <laughs> there it, there's nothing that goes right in the entire thing. And lots of people are going to say, "Look, you didn't comply with 71 commands." You could have easily prevented your death here by just simply doing what they were asking you to do um, from the get-go. And that's possibly to probably true. On the other hand, there's a whole lot else going on there that I don't know the background of. And it seems like there has to be more that was happening before the before the video kicks on than because the, the cops are pretty hot by the time they get them out of the car in the first place. And then there's the first confrontation and the whole wrestling around and trying to get him on his stomach with his hands behind his back and that doesn't work. And then tasing, and then him running and then the chase and all of that. And then it's in the second time they catch him where things get really, um, yeah. Escalate. You would, yeah, majorly, you don't, yeah. You don't want to watch that. I mean, so you basically have, you know, somebody on the ground getting kicked in the face and then with their arms held behind their back, getting punched in the face. Um, enough so that, I mean, like you said, Cameron, To the degree that you would die from it is a is a significant beating. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing justifiable about anybody's behavior toward the end of that in in, in any circumstance. So don't hear me saying that. But it comes back. I want to, while you're talking about chaos, that's -hmm. that's exactly what you're watching happen there. And the reason that some of this becomes interesting to us is that there, there are two forms of I almost need like a capital C chaos and a little c chaos here in the sense that the the biblical story starts off with chaos and then order is brought out of chaos. And there's a story that goes around chaos. Like it's like we can make sense of it. So we see like this chaotic thing is happening and here's why. And something about putting a boundary and a why around the chaos gives us peace. But then other times you look at something like this and you don't know the why. You don't know the story. You just mm. see the chaos. And there's this national and personal fidgetiness of like, what is going on here? And what are we seeing? We don't know the backstory. We don't know all the motives. We don't know the amount of unknown that goes around yeah. this little vivid snapshot into it is what terrifies everybody. Um, and this one uniquely lacks some of the. Um, and the degree to which we want to talk about race, we can, I mean, so if there had been different races involved here, we'd be having a very different conversation. This is why this one uniquely might highlight some things that are part of, um, chaos and violence and evil and a lot of other things like we can all, we can't just totally set race aside, but on this one, it allows us to look past that to see something more indicative about humanity um, than some of the other interactions have in the past. so that doesn't exactly answer your question. I'm just saying that's why it's hard to grapple with and part of the uneasiness that we have because we want to know why and we just can't or won't yet uh, have a good way of dealing with that
1: yeah and that that clear rage that punctuates this whole this whole spectacle is is one of those disconcerting factors for me because you know, I do think of if they're, if they're if these police officers are this angry to begin with, and of course, all manner of speculation takes place on why that is the case. What were there any you know events preceding this? We don't know right now, but certainly you have that lack of control on display at the beginning. I mean, this man is clearly yeah. So is he not cooperating at the beginning? No. But is he prob Is it likely that he's afraid and terrified? I, I mean, I think so. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd agree. And also, I mean, though this, I mean, there's there's a long legacy and just a, a problem for particularly for Black people, brown skinned people, in getting pulled over. There's already so much tension, so much anxiety, so much fear. There, this man gets pulled over, and immediately, there's this very aggressive tone. And an atmosphere, the fact that it that it escalated, I think is to the degree that it did is horrifying, but there's to a certain extent it's it's not that surprising. and of course, these five guys who are supposed to be maintaining order, minimizing violence, and you know, basically ensuring public safety in this particular instance are doing I mean really are doing the opposite of that. And so that's, and of course, you know we can this is it's worth it's worth pointing out as well we're seeing a lot of i mean this story will of course bring massive scrutiny on not just the memphis police department of course but police officers around the country mm-hmm. you know and nathan we talked a little bit about this when anytime you you put on a a uniform whether you're a, a police officer a firefighter or a soldier you are you're an ambassador, of course, for an institution. So if something like this happens, it just casts the shadow over the whole thing. And I mean of course, Memphis now, I mean this this whole city is probably is going to be under so much scrutiny. There's going to be a kind of you know institutional surgery that takes place now on the on this place. And likely we're going to we'll have more revelations and more more stuff is going to be brought to light. But I think it's, it's, it's worth bringing that in here too.
0: Yeah. So the, the thing of it is, is what, that everybody involved in it would in hindsight have a justifiable reason for what they did, um, perhaps, or in their mind have a reason for, you know, so the cops may very well have thought this guy is a danger and what we're supposed to do with the dangerous people is subdue them and arrest them and prevent more reckless. Like we, we don't know. Um, Now, it could be that they just went nuts. They were on drugs as part of an internal gang. Who knows? But we can't speculate on that from here, and we can't speculate on what was going on in his mind as well. But I want to get to your point on the representation thing because I just looked it up. Um, 50,000 people a day get pulled over by the cops in the United States. So 50,000 is a lot. And this one from several days ago is the one that is going to make the news and stay on the news for a long time. So you have forty nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine versions of this that didn't end like that. So I'm very sh- certain that every police officer who's involved in every single one of those other ones. Does not want to be associated or identified with, nor should we um, assume, you know, that that type of. uh action then. so so it's a it's complicated in that way so i just wanted to highlight the point that you're making there of the idea of collective representation or how you're judged based off of individuals who look the same as you is a serious thing
1: it is or we're the, the same uniform yeah, and and well and of course and the other another analogy we can bring in here is for those of us who who call ourselves christians you know we you know numerous misrepresentations happen on a public level and major scandals happen on a public level and then it's just one of those byproducts of something like that that you're going to be associated with it and there is but I also want to say this and this is going to push a few buttons and feel free to push back on me Nathan here but again this is thinking out loud but I had I've said before I said this in the book I wrote Called faith at Lasts with my dad. Whenever I hear, so I'm making, I've made a, quite a few statements about this being a chaotic cultural moment. There's another phrase I, I I heard a lot, and Nathan, I've I've talked to you about this, complained about this. That you know we're you know you're the the level of moral insanity that we're seeing in our nation. I, I hear this a lot from from Christians. Okay, I'm picking on Christians now. I had a problem with that phrase, and even me saying chaotic culture. So I got to qualify this here if we are if if we're we're talking about a culture that's in precipitous decline just from a cultural standpoint we are most certainly numbered in that decline so we are we are part of it so when there is a an egregious say moral failing in in the church in christianity especially if so if it's in if it's sort of in our circles you know evangelical circles and we're associated with it I think there's 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 some share of ownership. I mean, it's it's that that maybe is necessary. It's worth taking it's worth searching our hearts. This isn't comfortable for us because this, but this actually hones in on i would I would say a little more of a biblical view of sin, which views sin not as a purely individual thing. It can't be a purely individual thing. If you're a human being, you're a relational creature. now there's a there is a balance here because we have to. Scripture also says, "Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling." But there is, if we are inescapably relational creatures, and we are part of a community, and in our community we see this kind of heinous behavior, then I think there is room for soul searching. There is room for searching our hearts, and there is there's room for taking our share of ownership in the matter. How have I, in you know, in my small Maybe in imperceptible ways contributed a little bit to to the culture that per, that you know makes something like this more possible. I, this is a, it's a challenging point to make, and I'm I'm totally ready for some pushback. We can we can go back and forth on that, but I think it's worth stating that here a little bit because that's we're dealing with that kind of a story here.
0: All right, so Nathan slides his chair forward. Let's 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 wallow in this a little bit. Lowers and, the glasses on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and, <laughs> I mean, we appreciate. Your, your graciousness as you listen to this with us, because we are really thinking out loud here and trying
1: to, and
0: we'll probably say things
1: extraordinarily difficult case and very, you know, emotions will run very high on it. So we're, we want to tread, we're trying to tread as carefully as we can, but also be honest and yeah, process through this. uh, We'll we'll see, we'll
0: see where we go. Okay. So two things, let's complicate this. Let's say that it turns out that one of these guys is a member of the church of your same denomination. Memphis, chances that somebody's involved or connected to a church? I don't know. Sure. Um, so we can talk about, like, oh, put on the uniform and identify the same way. Okay, well, let's think about if there's a religious connection there as well. So that's just a whole rabbit trail we don't need to go down, but I'm throwing that out there. The other thing is, um, and so in Wendell Berry's book, The Need to Be Whole, he has an entire chapter on sin. And he mm-hmm. said that essentially he talks a lot about public sin which basically from one side of the aisle is if you haven't had an abortion, you're okay. And if you're not publicly racist on the other side, you're okay. So those are the two sins. And as long as you don't commit either of those, you're good to go. It's, it's super easy to be good now online. You just have to not do two things and you're fine. And he said, this is a total upending of the entire human experience and a recognition mm. that sin operates on scales and continuums through our hearts in every direction. And there are levels of this, that are endemic to humanity, um, that they're communal and collective sins that we all deal with and wrestle to some degree. And so you might say, I'm not an angry person and I would never do that. You probably also haven't been in a 13 minute fight where you've been pepper sprayed in the face recently. Um, and so what you can see in these types of interactions are extreme versions of things that are alive in every human heart. Let me say that yes. again, because that is a provocative claim, and I understand yeah, that. Say it again. But what you see when you see chaos on this degree break loose is is the extreme end of a continuum of something that you're actually capable of as well. Mm-hmm. Now, that is not justifying it, and it's not saying it's good, but it also has a deep degree of Jesus saying, get the spe- the plank out of your own eye kind of thing going on here. So I'm not excusing any behavior, but on the other hand, I'm pointed to Cameron's thing of saying that there is a degree to which we're implicated in some of the things that we've seen there, because that which we point to out there, um, the seeds of it are alive and well in us if we aren't rightly ordered in our relationship with the Lord and with truth and reality. So to that degree, that is true and that is there. And it's wild then that we need a incident this severe in order to make us think about that. Because there isn't... There isn't a... what. I, so, I don't know. Look at your local theater. What movies are being played? And show... And I, I would guarantee you that in... What, half of them? Somebody's going to get beaten to death. I mean, so... L- look at what we use for entertainment. As mm-hmm. part of our cultural ethos. And we put it under the category of entertainment. And then let's be surprised that there are actually violent people in the world. I'm not saying that the violence replicates what we see in in film and entertainment. I'm saying that the film and entertainment seems realistic to us because it replicates reality. And so if stuff like this doesn't cause you to delve into the brokenness of the condition of humanity and start to think that maybe we need a savior outside of police reform, you know, or government oversight or whatever, I don't know what will. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that we can do to structurally. Improve things and their wise and level-headed things that could be done, whether it be training or screening or whatever that would have prevented this. But you do get to certain degrees of chaos where you recognize that we are out of our depth and our capacity to contain this, based off of just warm fuzzies and the proper education.
1: Now Nathan won't say this, won't tell you this, but I can tell you this, Nathan, the Rittenhouse household does not have a television and they're not watching John Wick films. But <laughs> I think true. that's a convi- but I think that's a convicting word from you Nathan because you're pointing out that what why do we have an appetite for this kind of stuff? Why is I mean you you do look at our entertainment habits and it's hard to avoid the fact that there's what appears to be quite a persistent bloodlust there. And also what we think is I thought something else that was very interesting that you said is that we we often take this take for granted that this is a realistic view of, of just the way things are or the way we but, want them to be or the way we want them to be. But things things don't have to be like that, even with human nature being being what it is, things don't have to be that violent. Th- that's there are other ways there are there are other ways to res- to solve problems, but just it's just worth floating that out there, just how how a default setting for us is that, well, you know, of course, just violence is a necessary ingredient in human mm-hmm. life and society. That thought actually has a lot more to do with people like Thomas Hobbes and Locke, who codified this into their political theories than it actually has to do with the way the way things play out. Yes human beings are capable of some incredibly wicked and explosive and violent and hateful behavior but human beings are also capable of incredibly healing and beautiful behavior in the face of major crises you see this you can see this time and time again i mean amazingly the way the way communities come together in the face of shattering attacks and and just horror horrors and but people it doesn't have to look like this. But here's here's another pointed question that goes along with what Nathan was saying and just the, the general violence in the air and maybe our own part, part in it. I want to float out a question and then I want to play a little thought experiment out and then hand it over to Nathan. But the question is, I mean, for those of us who operate vehicles and drive, I mean, how many of us have succumbed to road rage? <laughs> I mean, the the incredible explosive violence that comes out of our mouths sometimes when we're behind the wheel of the, wheel of a car i mean it just it just gives you know vindication to you know the words of of james when he says you know the, the, the all the all the worries about the tongue because you know out of you know we bless our lord and then we curse our fellow fellow man <laughs> and this is this is something that is just kind of a way of life for many of us and i do think that there are times where the social, you know, sort of the the bonds of human relationships and social mores do get gossamer thin and crumble. And there's just, there are, high, so I do think there are times, there are cultural moments where you've got more road rage, less restraint, and other times where manners, community standards, I, mean, I sound very old-fashioned here, very old, <laughs> little house on the prairie, but do act as, as sort of forms of restraint. I think we're definitely in a very unrestrained mm. moment where, and part of that, I mean, there are numerous factors there. That the notion that you should always express yourself, our hyper individualistic behavior, but it absolutely contributes to. We, we forget. I mean, we we inhabit a spiritual world. We're, contrib- we're I mean, we are polluting in a sense the world mm-hmm. with our hatred and our profanity, our and our infective, and that does create a very real atmosphere. But here's here's a quick thought experiment for you, and this goes back to. What if one of these five officers was part of a, a PCA church in your area, or you know, or you know, the local Baptist church, or something? It's, it's part of your denomination. So, what share of ownership do we take? I think here's just a thought experiment, because this, this, this goes to something that we talk about a lot on the podcast. Because this is true of of many. This is this. We a lot of us fall into this in our Christian thinking. Okay, if you go to a church. Where there is that bracketing that's kind of stressed, maybe inadvertently, between spiritual life and real life. The spiritual life is is you know your 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 devotions, your prayer, your worship of of Jesus. This happens on a Sunday, and it's it's very important. But then you leave the church and you go back into the real world with real problems that require hard and real solutions. You know, whether they're financial, whether they're legal. And there you consult all the experts and you just live as a normal professional. And so you live your life as though the fear of God, well, you live your life outside of the fear of God and you live your life as though God isn't really, he's a sort of a distant deistic God or he does, or he's not really, plays no role at all. This is what Craig M. Gay calls practical atheism. So if that is the vision that's being reinforced in your church, then that's a vision that makes it possible for us to bracket the fact that human beings are made in the image of God when we're going to our office. And when we have the ability to crush somebody, we crush somebody. When we have the ability to, to curse them out when we're driving and cut them off and ride them, and then then we do that. And we're able to maintain that neat little division. And sadly— and again, we are for the church. We love the church. But sadly, some of our churches here in North America have ended up inadvertently, I think, reinforcing that kind of a notion. And we, we need to, as Christian people, vigorously push back against that kind of truncated vision of human life. So you're, what, are we, what are we actually saying here? There's
0: a sense in which, oh, this is the case, that there are degrees of chaos that you can't control. And so the only thing that you can control is how you respond to it. Like there, there are things that are, we we intellectually know that can be true, but it's a discipline and a habit to bring that back into reality. So yeah, you live in Atlanta where traffic is chaotic. I mean, I was with you (laughs) once when you got pulled over on the most ridiculous thing. (laughs) Yeah, We'll get (laughs) into that sometime. Yeah. I I would fully justify Cameron's head shaking at that whole entire situation. Um, And you're, I mean, you're, you're totally helpless and defenseless in that even in court on. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're part of a system where there's no way that you come out on top of that. Um, Now, the way that you treated the officer was very different. So that was a big part of how that worked out. But let me say this. So yeah, you live in Atlanta where the traffic is crazy and I can see how things tension, you know, builds up there. I live at a place where there's not a lot of traffic. In fact, if I have to stop at a stop sign, we're like, man, what's going on around here? Um, but that means we use our high beams at night to drive a, a lot because oftentimes you're the only car on the road and when a car is coming the other direction, what's the, what do you do? 500 feet from the front, yeah. 200 feet from the back, yeah. you put your low beams on because it's a common courtesy to not to blind the other person. And I get cranked about this and I complain about it to my wife all the time. We're living in a time of... Nobody cares about anybody else's experience. Everybody leaves their high beams on. And so I have more opportunity to turn the other cheek when it comes to people leaving their high beams on. Because my impulse is, I'll just leave my high beams on too. Um, (laughs) And so every single time that I turn my low beams on and somebody leaves their high beams on, and I have a little car, so I mean, I'm always getting it right in the face. Um, It's like, this is the right thing to do. Like, this is my opportunity to turn the other cheek Mm -hmm. and not perpetuate... Uh, which I know sounds like a super silly thing when I say it out loud, but yeah, it just points to that. Like You have to make a conscientious effort even on the tiny things to say, I'm not participating in the system of retaliation um, yeah. even if I could easily justify it in my mind.
1: And it will feel like a lost cause. In a ma- yeah, so let's bring in Wendell Berry again. I, I was reading a lovely little essay of his from the early years on maintaining a mar- what he called a marginal farm. Hmm. And he and you know basically talked about how he you know they've developed the land that they have they've they've cultivated it they've done so not using you know major industrial techniques and all of that they've but he also made some major mistakes and there's been some soil erosion and all of that and he basically says a lot of what i'm doing from a technical standpoint is probably a lost cause but there's something that helps you keep going and i'm i'm butchering his elegant language but at the end it helps to love farming. Is essentially what he says at the end, mm-hmm. and I think that's a picture. I mean, obviously, he means that. He means you to take this more broadly. For 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 Wendell Berry, everything comes down to farming. If you start yeah, to read for, him, pretty much, yeah, I know. yeah. But so when when you are turning the other cheek, when you're doing the hard hard stuff, when you're loving your enemies, the older you get, the the less abstract that becomes, and you start getting real enemies, and you're like, oh gosh, I, God, do I really have to love these people? Yes. And the more it begins to feel like a lost cause in terms of short, short-term rewards, there will be very little short-term rewards. In fact, the more you press into the way of Christ, the more difficulty you're going to encounter from a cultural standpoint. What's going to help you as you carry on what appears to be a lost cause—it's not, but it will in earthly terms, it, it is kind of—what will help you is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then to love your neighbor. That's that's what you have to do, and again, it's it, it's going to take discipline. That's not that's that that's why it has to be more than just some mood or a feeling. This and it ha- and you have to train yourself into it. You do not drift into that kind of radical commitment to love. And it looks as practical as yeah, not fighting back with your own high beams, but even when somebody blinds you and burns off your own retinas, and it you know, and not participating in road rage but also when you see something this horrific and this heinous you know recognizing the place of human nature in this case and not shying away from those implications but also recognizing what what can be done in our own spheres of influence in our own communities our own churches our own neighborhoods and thinking about how what are the ways in which i can refrain from not only Refrain from the chaos, but then also find ways to pour into my community and just to really to try to help, to try to be a healing presence. Lord, we we our prayer needs to be for imagination for that. That's what you need yeah. tremendous creativity from that. And that will come from the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay. Let me let me try a conclusion and see if if you think this works, because there, there's a huge danger here. One is to say, oh, this is we're gonna look at this at a at a broad meta level and forget that a person died. The other one is, is to um, just focus on, well, this is a person who died. That's Memphis. That's not where I live. That's over there. And, and there are two extremes there that we don't want to get stuck in. On the other hand, being a Christian, and I think if I can summarize what I think we've collectively been trying, and we ask for your patience on this. We're really trying to grapple with this, and we'll have inadvertently said things that are, perhaps inaccurate, naive, or miscalculated, but it's, it's not ill intentioned. Um, but I think here's the, here's kind of the nugget that I'm seeing in the middle of all of this is there is a way as a follower of Christ that we can look at things in the world and say, that is wrong. And we don't need a whole lot of other details. We can just look at it and say, that is wrong. This is sad and this is bad. And that should not have happened. We can clearly and definitively say that, and we have perfect moral grounding and framework for saying that because we believe in the sanctity of human life and basic decency and dignity of all people. That's wrong. On the other hand, what following, so following Christ gives us the ability to do that and clarity on that. On the other hand, it doesn't allow it to just stay over there. Jesus often looked at tragedies and said, yeah, that was bad, but what about you? And so there's this both and thing that happens there. To handle this in a Christ-like way is to be able to condemn something, to be able to grieve something, but then also to be able to look at that isn't unique to just over there. That's probably alive. There are elements of that that are alive and well in your own heart too, and where you live in your own communities. And so it becomes a a thing that you have to wrestle with introspectively and locally, because even though it didn't happen maybe next door to you. It's still a reminder to you of the reality of humanity. And it's fascinating to me, you talked about as you grow, you get more enemies, how my kids are just becoming aware of evil being a real thing, like experientially. And as they do that, there's a certain amount of trepidation that they sense and fear in the world, but then the resources of the church and the teachings of Christ become more special. And so we've talked a lot about the provision or the command and the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples deliver us from evil. That's a legitimate thing to ask for and a legitimate thing that the Lord can provide. And so there's a sense in which the gospel begins to make more sense when you see the actual nature of humanity that it was built to engage with and not a sparkles and glitter and facade of humanity that we like to construct. And so there's something gut wrenching about these things that we see, but it's a shock back into the reality of the way that people are and the need for brokenness to be redeemed, not just in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with each other and what that would mean for us to have a stable and civil society. So nobody gets off the hook on not needing to deal and wrestle with this deeply. Um, We can all see things that are bad and call them as such, and then we can all open-heartedly confess our own sin and open-handedly before the Lord say, see if there be uh, any deceitful or wicked way within me and create in me a clean heart, O God. And so we don't know what the outcome of all of this will be or even what the whole story is, but I know enough about what God wants of us in response to these things to be able to offer you those words in conclusion. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at
1: www.toltogether.com. That's T-O-L together.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.